hold on, the real genius of training your breath is not to get better in terms of faster, but it's in terms of recover quicker. And that's what, for an athlete, what it really taps into is, is it improves your baseline breathing throughout the day. There are all the amazing health benefits, which regulates your nervous system better, which helps you to sleep better. And then in sport itself, it helps you to recover much quicker when you become aware of it and train it to a high level. That was Leo Ryan, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the air bands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into air bands. Simplyfaster.com also has Be Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro and this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another show. Great to have you here. Every year and even every month within the past year, I have gotten more and more into the concepts of the breath and breathing and whether that's on the level of biomechanics and movement and how the breath expands portions of the ribs and allows us movement options from that inside to out perspective. And then also breathing on the level of just energy, recovery, the wellness and the health elements of proper breathing. And everything that goes with that, the breath just becomes more and more part of my coaching life and my daily life. I'm really excited to bring back for the show today guest, Leo Ryan. Leo previously was on episode 219, and he is the founder of innatestrength.com. Leo is a performance coach and breathing specialist. He studied from many elite therapeutic and breathing schools, including the Buteco Method, Wim Hof, Oxygen Advantage and many others, and he is an absolute expert in so many elements of breathing and breath training. So last time on the show, Leo talked about running marathons with no actual run training, just the breath training, and he went into lots of elements of breath training for athletic performance. On the show today, Leo will return to dig into the role of breath training, largely this time for its role in recovery both within the workout itself, so how can I recover faster from set to set or bout to bout, and then how that works out to day-to-day -day recovery. So maybe you're not even an endurance athlete. Maybe you just want to recover faster between strength and power sessions. So Leo's going to be giving a very detailed explanation on the role of breath, the mechanics of breath, and the recovery. He'll be talking about some elements of breathing and capacity building. So we talk about 
often building an aerobic base. We talk about distances and volumes, but rarely do we get into the actual mechanics of the respiratory system. So Leo will be covering some mechanics of how he addresses breathing mechanics, physiology and rhythms, and how he can use that to really expedite recovery times. He'll also be talking about CO2 or carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide tolerance, and its role in wellness and athletic function. And then we'll finish the show with some breathing dynamics within the scope of a strength training session. It's so enjoyable learning more about the breath, this thing that you do thousands of times each day, not just in workouts, but also throughout your daily life. And it's something that has the power to change athleticism and also branch out to elements of health and well-being. And it was so good to have Leo to chat about that today. So let's get to episode 323. Leo, awesome to have you back on the show, man. I, I did want to start with kind of um, just an interesting thought I had. Uh, recently, Chris Corfus was on the show talking about female athletes that he has worked with, saying that those with a background in Irish dance were always amazing athletes. And of course, you are from Ireland, and I'm, I'm sure Irish dance is, of course, a lot more big of a deal where you're from. Uh, maybe from the sounds of it, maybe even to a detriment for the escalation of athletes. But I'm just curious, what what's your experience with that that movement practice and what what is it like from the source of it all here? Yeah, Irish dancing is a phenomenal, it, it's, it is now a sport without a, without a shadow of a doubt. I've got a, a 13-year-old girl that's involved in it. And I have a wife who's a former All-Ireland champion. Uh, and, and to see the progression even from back when she was doing it in, say, the, the 1990s, it would have been the 1990s was my wife and now my, my, my daughter doing it. To give you an example of her training week, she will be expected to train in class for one and a half hour sessions a week of dance. She will be expected to do two hours at home, six days a week. Wow. They, at 13 years of age, from the age of 10 at the elite level, which is, they have like level five, they have five levels uh, mainly. So you got like beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then you have pre-competition, and then you have the elite competition. Just to translate it across for everybody. So at that elite level of it, you would then be, most of them will be looking at hiring personal trainers and even sports psychologists from the, from the age of 10. That's how detailed they're beginning to get with it and how competitive it is. But on the flip side of that is, is there's a huge amount of injuries. Like I could tell... I know of girls, let's say of a, of a group of 16 girls, I'd say there's at least 10 of them have broken bones and, and done ACL injuries in the last year and a half. Wow. At least, at least. Yeah, so the training practices in terms of strength and conditioning uh, and flexibility work isn't up to scratch from what I've seen so far, although it's starting to come in, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a hugely competitive sport. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm sure here where it's not, as competitive where it's like people just go maybe they go to class like four times a week for an hour or something you know i was just thinking of the athleticism that comes out of that that could be translated into other things oh as well. like even well you, you say it's not a it might be competitive the u.s is is huge for irish dance and you, I, like at the world championships every year the world championships are either held alternatively in ireland or abroad so they're in montreal for example next year they were in the U.S. just before all the COVID lockdowns, and then they were back in Ireland there just this year. But I think you have 52 countries been represented at the World Championships. Like, it's a genuine World Championships. And, and the schools that are competitive are, are highly competitive. 
But if you think of what 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 Irish dancing is like, it's it's a lot of there's a lot of spring in the a lot of footwork, a lot of high kicks in it, and a lot of fast feet in it. So for in terms of for improving your footwork for sport and your speed for sport, it's absolutely incredible. In fact, I, I think I might have even seen on one of the the New York pages. I think they had an NFL uh, player in doing Irish dancing really? as a means of improving his footwork. Yeah. If that there's a video of that anywhere, I want to put it in the show notes. So yeah, I, yeah, I'll have to root it out for you. I can imagine <laughs> that you know, for the first two weeks of all football training, you know, yeah. when strength and conditioning starts, they should all just do Irish dance for two weeks and then do it. Yeah. Else, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe in Notre Dame College, it will it will fly that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know my, my Paul Cater, who's been on the show, coach out of California. He say he says that his first few weeks or months of training is basically dance class, and then it morphs into full-on snc so it's just it's cool to think about the roots of the rhythm and things like that i imagine the reactive strength index if you put some of those girls on a jump mat and had them do like the bouncing tests they would probably score extremely well i'd imagine compared yeah. to other athletes yeah hugely i mean that's what they're doing all day long and it's for like two hours a day <laughs> yeah. of just continuous footwork and that's where they're really strong and like I, i'm doing a lot of work with you know uh, getting big toes in, in terms of rehabbing and restoring people, getting big toes moving, getting the foot moving, and then working up the kinetic chain. But uh, those girls really don't need it at all. The only thing is that their feet are, are pretty mangled because their feet inside some pretty tight shoes. Ah, uh, got it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah their they're, they're, they're movement and strength in their feet are incredible. Yeah, a lot of repetitive force going into small spaces that could definitely, with the shoes, that could definitely make sense interesting shoot i might i'm i'm excited if my uh daughter is interested in it i'll try to get her in a class it'll be fun to kind of watch that kind of athleticism come out and maybe i'll get some ideas myself so you know it's a i had no idea it was that big in the united states as well i was totally oblivious to that Quite huge a lot of a lot of world champions come from the u.s every year at the different age categories yeah uh, well, well, cool to off the yeah scan the show notes. Hopefully, there's something with a you know if there's a football <laughs> player doing it, definitely posting it. So, uh, but uh, anyways, the one of the themes that I really wanted to get to in this podcast, and I'll just share my story because I guess you know I think it would be a good segue. And I think it's early on in a lot of people's, not everyone's, but a lot of people's training careers. It's like it starts with muscles and and more you know force based principles and biomechanics and all those things. And you hear about breath. But it's never, a lot of times it's kind of like a side thought, like, all right, we should do some breathing over here on the side every now and then, or this or that. And as I've kind of gone along, there's been two areas that have really been impactful for me and how I think of it. One has been, I guess you could call it, I don't like to use the corrective exercise space, but basically just using the breath to expand different parts of the ribs and thorax and torso and to change the body's function from the inside out. The second that's really been powerful for me, I mean, they both have, but has been breathing as a recovery tool. And when I was 35, I'm, I'm going to be 39 in a month here, but at 35, my nervous system, just whatever you want to call it, physiology just crashed. Like I, You're not 20 anymore. Oh, no, not 20 anymore. But, but it was so interesting because I was always thinking like, why? Like I, I mean, it makes sense. Like I've been training my butt off since I was basically 13 without taking too much of a break. And then kind of living more of a high output kind of lifestyle having and then having a family and two young kids. And I just finished a big book project, Speed Strength. It took me three years and I finished that when I was 34, 35. So it was almost like the wow, culmination. Congratulations, man. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that was 
It was a lot. And then That's a big I, project. I just remember like, at, but at age 35 though, right before it crashed, I was doing really well. Like, I mean, I was dunking a basketball. Well, a lot of athletic output sprint speed was pretty good. And then just, it just crashed. And I remember I just couldn't, the workouts I could normally recover. I'd be walking in the gym the next day and just be garbage. Like my jumps would be horrible. Like everything was flatlining. And then anyways, kind of working on different things to kind of get up, get that back. Think about what went, what was down and how to restore it. Obviously, be nice to just, I guess, be 20 and sitting on a beach somewhere. That probably be a real <laughs> nice way. But, uh, but one of the things was uh, just recently, just honestly, just two months ago, was doing morning breath work. And I've done Wim Hof in the past and things like, and I felt like it was useful. But this was the one I've been doing was basically kind of like a Wim Hof mixed with some box breathing, some exhales, some recovery breaths, a little more dynamic, probably a little more parasympathetic. And I seriously, like my strength and energy, like almost instantly, like just like that, I went from being able to do only like two high intensity workouts a week to four, literally in the scope of almost a week or two. And then my, a lot of my outputs, my strength, everything has just been steadily improving since then. So I'm thinking like, all right. And I also just uh, read the book Breath by James Nestor. And mm, great just, book. Oh, so Long much. Book. Yeah. So much good. So that's my segue. Obviously, you know, I think that someone who's already got a high vitality you know, in their 20s, you know, might not be the same as someone who's in their 30s. But I think regardless, these principles are helpful for everybody. So the first, with that story out of the way, I'll just ask you, what's your take on like breath and then recovery? And I know we touched on it last time, but I'd like to get into mm. that more, like the nervous system, the physiology, the ability to recover from training life, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Thoughts on that? Well, may maybe even just before that, I just want to touch on your story because <laughs> most of my clients are people exactly like you okay they they get into their they're usually actually early 30s and they're breaking down they're just all of a sudden either they lose their energy and they're like what is going on with me or they start getting injured much more frequently and none of their usual strategies that have worked even if they're high level people and, and have pretty good strategies in, in place women Usually, it's it's men towards their forties and and ladies early thirties, and it's just incredible to see. I think it's for me standing back. I didn't mean it and intend for it that way, but that's just the people that that come train with me and come practice with me a lot. And I think there's something about that time. Uh, I think Paul Check said it, said it beautifully, which is uh, every summer has a winter, mm -hmm. and if if you don't take your winter, um, well then eventually winter is going to come and take you. In other words, that you need, of course, there's periods during the year, there's periods during your day, like every night, every day is a night, so you're going to have to rest well at night, and every summer has a winter, so there's periods during your year where you, where you just have to back off, but during your 20s as a human, you can just, you can keep going through that and through that and through that and ignore it and ignore it and ignore it and, ignore it and go and go, but eventually, it might be a decade or two decades down the road, your your being just goes, ah, no, 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 I'm out of here, I'm found out. <laughs> and I need I need some rest period here. And what I've found is I've just been very, very lucky is because I was sick as a kid, as I explained in the last podcast, and I found the breath very early in my life. So I tuned into my breath and my whole nervous system very, very early on. So the breath is is a is a phenomenal window or mirror as to how your whole body and mind is working. It's phenomenal in that sense. And then you can use the breath to upregulate or downregulate the system as needed. So you can use specialized techniques to improve 
your baselines, if that makes sense. Maybe if I explain another way as well for people that, that might understand, if, if you listen to uh, the Hooperman Lab podcast at all, he, he has a couple of good episodes on dopamine and how dopamine works in the body. And dopamine is your, your neurotransmitter for, for want, for desire, for going out and going after things. It's the main molecule that makes you do that. Like from there comes adrenaline and that from there comes all your fight or flight hormones. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, but if you're a person, if you baseline dopamine and then you start taking stuff to increase dopamine, let's say it's coffee, let's say it's uh, drugs, let's say it's, it's exercise to an excessive, to an excessive amount, doesn't matter what it is, anything that uh, you desire or that, has a slight addiction risk to it. Let's put it that way, right? Every time you take it, sure, those dopamine levels go up and the wave goes up, but then it drops below baseline. So the way dopamine works is, first of all, it makes you go out and get the stuff. But then after a while, it merges and changes to, it starts to work when you don't have it. So coffee is a beautiful example of this, which is, People start drinking coffee in the beginning because they love it, they love it, they love it, they love it. And then all of a sudden, after a year or two, they get to a stage where they can't do without it. They can't do it. Oh, no, I need, I need my cup of coffee. And the reason why that is is because the way dopamine works in your system is you've now lowered your baselines of dopamine. And so every time you take coffee, you're actually just, just getting yourself back up to baseline, just to where you feel decent throughout the day. Now, I see this in sports people where they're training and training begins as a really good positive thing and they're training, they're training, and then they're going at it for a decade and then they get to elite level sports where it might be even two decades of it and they're pushing and pushing and pushing boundaries. But all of a sudden exercise turns into this, I don't feel good anymore and I need to do it just to feel normal, just to feel satisfied again. And at the same time, you lose a sense of what normal is. And eventually, the body and mind just break down in one way or another. Either you just crash and burn and you burn out altogether, or uh, you, just, you just lose your energy and uh, you're not performing to where you once were. And what I just found is that the breath is a beautiful guide as to rebuilding your baselines and then getting a sense of where you are in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I will say the one thing I remember that you talked about last time that I've kept with me, and especially since I've been doing my breathing in the morning, is using a breath hold as a rudimentary, like a, that's not maybe not the right word, but a, basically a, a rough HRV. Like you can use it yes. as an, or an organic HRV. Maybe that's a better. Organic, exactly. That's a beautiful yeah. way of putting it. Actually, I never <laughs> thought of it like that. I actually find it more sensitive than HRV. Really? Yeah, my yeah, my mind yeah. was trying to search for a few different words. Oh, that would be good there. But but I noticed um, the days that because it, it's my training has been interesting lately. It's been a lot more when I was in my early 30s. A lot of times, honestly, it was I wasn't excited to train. I felt like I had to. And then I'd get going, and I, I mean, like you said too, with the dopamine. Like I discovered coffee when I was 27. Just blasted it. Blasted pre workouts basically as well. That feeling for. <laughs> Tell us about 32, 33, I got off of that. So when I was 35, I was off of it. But I think by then, all that had been, it was just still, it was just this massive train that eventually needed to, like like you said, every up has its down. So these decades of ups had to find a little bit of a down there or a lot mm. of a down. And that was my, you know, it's funny, like um, sprint coach, Charlie Francis, who a lot of people are familiar with, he said something back in the day that 
I always thought was interesting. I was like, how do you know this? You know, like the more you work with athletes over long periods of time, you start to feel and figure it out. He had said, if you train hard for seven years, athletes need to take a year where they do less, like lower volume, something is diminished. Otherwise, they're going to have a hard time continuing to progress. And I also find it interesting that like this, the sevens, like they say your life works in sevens. Sometimes there's looking to the numerical and the philosophy behind it. I I find that interesting, you know, and I, I think a lot of athletes, especially in the pro realms, it's like, you have sponsorships, you have appearances and there's pressure and you've been doing this forever. It's, it's so easy to run into that, that ground. Sometimes it just works itself out probably organically. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you just decided to take a break or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think I ran, shoot, I ran probably two, two, seven year, uh, actually probably three, <laughs> seven year periods in a row where I did not really take a break. I took one three month break pretty much. And there just to go. play a bunch of uh, disc golf, frisbee golf and you know, do that. And that was nice coming back from that one. But anyways, yeah, I was, um, I, I, so when, I, when you asked me then about, you know, and this is the, the, the beautiful thing about breathing is, is that it does work more on the recovery side without a shadow of a doubt. I that's from what I've seen. And let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, I was trying to understand how breathing works. In fact, I was trying to promote a breath training. So my idea of breath training is restoring your breathing system, your respiratory system back to baseline. Okay, that's the whole point of it. So it's a Buteco and Oxygen Advantage style of breathing, and but it's with a goal of restoring your baselines. And But it's a type of training that, I mean, the Wim Hof style, you feel amazing from straight away because it's an it's it's excitation type of breath, right? <laughs> like it gets your whole system upregulated, so you feel amazing from it. Whereas the oxygen advantage side of things is you don't feel like that afterwards at all. So it's very hard for athletes to, to get it and to get the benefits of it. So they're trying to think of ways of convincing people to get through the kind of hard period of training to see the benefits of it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to run online. I'm going to run a, a 10 day program. And I was thinking of the, the old school movie days of thunder with Tom Cruise. I don't know. You're, you're 35. You may or may not remember that. I, I don't. Uh, Top Gun esque. <laughs> it was around the original Top Gun time. Right. And there, there was a, there was a, a scene in that movie where uh, Tom Cruise is this uh, young hotshot uh, uh, race car driver unbelievable guy that's come in but he's burning out the car and the tires every single time he races so he ends up not finishing any race so the mechanic is there who's robert duval and he's sitting him down and saying look we're, we're gonna have to do something about this and tom cruise wouldn't listen to the mechanic in terms of how we raced because i'll tell you what you're gonna run 50 laps your way and we're gonna time you and see what the condition of the tires are like afterwards and we're gonna run 50 laps my way and see what the timing and the condition of the tires are like afterwards so anyway, he does. He goes in it and he and he runs the runs the laps and he comes back and there's a scene afterwards where when he runs it, uh, Tom Cruise's way, the tires are completely burned out and they're in absolute bits. Whereas when you look at it, the mechanics way, Robert Duvall's way, the tires were were perfect, like brand new looking tires, and he ran it in a slightly faster way as well. That convinced him. The movie it convinced Tom Cruise to 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 listen to the old mechanic and actually race with him instead of just doing it his way, right? So I took that idea to breathing, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to take a simple test. I'm going to do a, a 12 minute run, old school. You can run it, you can cycle it, you can row it, you can take any endurance based aerobic based activity, but you got to go 
you're going to run it as hard as you can and get as far as you can. So it's about distance, okay? And then all I want you to do is to time your recovery. And your recovery is from the second that 12 minutes is up, you're going to hit start on a stopwatch, and you're going to slow your breathing down until you can breathe calmly in and out of your nose. That was it. So there was two parts of the test. One was what's your distance, and two was what's your recovery, what's, uh, what's your time to recovery. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, there was about 50 people had run through this, uh, what I call the breathing fitness challenge. 50 people had run through it. And the, the most interesting thing I found from it was that they ran it their way first, sorry. Then they trained for 10 days in breath holding and nasal breathing techniques, which is what I call breath training, okay? And then they ran it again after the 10 days, okay? But they ran it my way. What I found was a 1% to 2% performance improvement. But I found a 40% recovery improvement wow 40 so that's when i realized hold on the real genius of training your breath is not to get better in terms of faster but it's in terms of recover quicker and that's what for an athlete what it really taps into is is it improves your baseline breathing throughout the day they're all the amazing health benefits which regulates your nervous system better, which helps you to sleep better. And then in sport itself, it helps you to recover much quicker when you become aware of it and train it to a high level. So would you say that on the micro, like I look at like the micro is the macro, you know, as above, so below goes the saying. So if I could do a, you know, an intense workout and then get back into nose breathing calm pretty quick, that would also be a window into, I'm probably going to recover and feel better the next day too. Would you agree with that? Bingo, bingo. Like if you remember from our last podcast, I ran the marathon, the Dublin marathon back in 2017, nasal breathing only, no endurance training, no running for the last seven years. And within three days, I was fully recovered and restored to where I was competing in judo the following week at a national level. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. It, the beauty, it, it will help the macro as well as the micro. It'll help you to like sleep is one of the people think that sleep, they, they you know, how do I sleep better? The way you sleep better is you breathe better throughout the day. Yeah. That, that is your number one thing. And then you start addressing sleep at night that I've seen a difference in, in people. Yeah. I, I had heard uh, Mark Wetzel, who was on the show, chiropractor, I'd, maybe a year or two ago, I was talking to him about my nervous system. Can I just call it nervous system because it's the explosive stuff that was killing me. I actually did a Spartan race at age 36, 37, did pretty darn good at it. I was like, I don't want endurance to be my thing. I mean, I could do it. Like it's, yeah. I, I, I'm good at it, but I, I love sprinting and throwing things far and jumping high, you know, and lifting heavy weights. But, but I mean, I don't know. It's maybe, maybe someday, maybe there'll be a season every year where I do a few of those, but it was more the explosive stuff. I just had a hard time, but even still, it's still, if I've learned anything, or at least in, in my intuition has got me to anything, it's not just your nervous system. It is your whole physiology that works together to recover you. And it's not just... I think we say, oh, you're trained the nervous system and here you're heroic. But they're, all, they're more related, I believe, than that. There's more aspects of your physiology that go into the it, nervous system recovery. It, absolutely. I mean, even if you consider it, like everything inside, I, I think of the human body as a, as a process. You have inputs, you have throughputs, and you have outputs. We are obsessed with analyzing the throughputs. In other words, what's going on inside? What's happening with our HRV, with our heart rate? What's happening with our organs? What's happening in our blood? What's happening in, in, in our muscles? But 
essentially we can't change any of that stuff. Like you, you can't directly change any of that stuff. It's indirect. And the way you change it is through your inputs. Your inputs is how you live your life. What exercise do you do? How well do you breathe? Do you get outside? Do you expose yourself to cold and hot temperatures? You know, what is, what is your overall lifestyle like? And I think that even though we've become highly specialized in certain areas and amazing, I think we're overriding our, our physical capacities with how intelligent we are. And I actually think that as a, as a human race, we're potentially weaker than we've ever been. Yeah. And I'm not talking about weaker as in, oh, well, we're, you know, somebody set the world dead, deadlift record last year. So, you know, we're a stronger race. I mean, physically weaker as a whole human being, because we're not training certain portions that used to just be built in because we wear farmers, we wear hunter gatherers, we wear physical throughout our whole day. Um, and I think that, that the, the intelligence of our modern lifestyle is actually hurting us physically a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just, I forget if I mentioned this already when we started recording, but the difference when I work inside and outside, even either in direct sunlight or indirect in terms of my energy is just insane. Like I'll, if I'm inside, I could have a few, and I'm down to espressos now, a few espressos rather than pounding <laughs> coffee. It's like my compromise. But it's I will need either so much more coffee or want to feel like I need to take a nap if I'm inside, if I don't get morning sunlight, if I don't have like get my feet on the ground and do some movement. It's it's really a, a substantial difference. And it is, you know, you're speaking of Paul Check, like the guy's 60 and is still like in insane shape. And I, I don't think he really drinks coffee like he might have an espresso every now and then. And, you know, does as you mentioned the cold and the. The breath, and I was going to ask you even about like you know the ideas like working in even within like strength training. Maybe we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But I do. Uh, so I do want to. Keep, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and, and even more so. Like these are all now. Now people are and elite athletes are becoming aware of the benefits of you know at least they're becoming aware of the breath and becoming aware of cold exposure and heat training and stuff like that. What about community? Yeah. What about diversity of activities in life? Whether it's you know family. And, and sharing with other humans. What about outside of sport? What about music and art? And I'm not saying you have to be a musician, an artist, and a sport and an athlete, but I'm saying that the, the human, I, I think the human capacity is, is much broader than we think. And if we narrow ourselves down too much to us, well, I'm Leo and I'm just an athlete, well, then I'm, I'm on a road to mental health issues mm -hmm. because I'm too narrow in my focus. The same way as if an athlete just does their sport and doesn't look after all their broader rehab and recovery side of things, eventually they'll get injured. Well, if a human being doesn't think broader than just their career and their sport and don't have other things built on, then um, it can very much affect them in, in a mental health capacity too. Yeah, I can totally see that. I'm not an um, economist by any means, but I've heard that like when there's more specialists in society, the society, the society is more, at least monetarily, air quotes, wealthy. You know, there's there's advantages to that, clearly, you know, but it's almost there is an element where you can get more poor, too, because the more you become a specialist and identify with that versus I was at Rafe Kelly's Return to the Source retreat, which is like a nature living in nature, a kind of off the grid parkour retreat where, you know, you're oh, out doing you're out doing like activities within community, challenging activities in nature. And then you come back and you're doing like 
singing by the fire or you're in a sauna, like a finished sauna with a bunch of people singing. And it's just like, it's amazing. And you're not a specialist. It's just there's a more of a community feel. So it's like, how do we blend the benefits of where society has gone with the ability to specialize, but also bringing it back to that community level where you just uh, where you can be not a specialist for a little while. You yeah. know? And that's like that yeah. pure recovery. That's so good for you. So, yeah, I think there's an interesting balance with things. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I did. Okay, I got. Uh, I got like three things in my head here. So I got one. I, I wanted to close out just like the, the the recovery piece, and then I wanted to get into your um, you know, your your experiment with the recovery times, and then some of your techniques. I know we touched on them last time. Just want to get into that again, but just kind of closing out the recovery. Uh, I know with me, and maybe you know in general, it's like well. I guess the big thing is really how you breathe throughout the day, right? More than like, mm-hmm. well, like let's say I did a ten minute thing in the morning. That's great, but I'd imagine the bigger impact that's going to really hit my physiology in a great way is probably more how that sticks with me would you say that's true throughout the day than it is just that 10 minute hit okay absolutely and you shouldn't you shouldn't have to think about it it should be just innate it should be built into you Mm -hmm. through your training through a period of practice then you should be able to let go and not need it anymore does that make sense but how should your breath look for want of a better purpose when you're when you're in tune with it, mm-hmm. I think is what you're asking, which is a, it's all nasal. So it's in through the nose and out of the nose. When you're at rest or in any low level activity, you should be nasal breathing. Now people, I know people are going to come on. Oh, I have adenoids. Oh, I have hay fever. That's because your respiratory system isn't built strong enough yet. Oh, I have. Yeah. But, uh, they, they might also say, yeah, but I have a broken nose. That's okay too. Um, it can still be trained that you have calm nasal breathing and rest. And in the rare case, you may need an operation to fix the structure of the nose. That's in a very, very rare case. Not only should you be able to breathe in and out of your nose, but it should be subtle. The Chinese have a great saying, which is your neighbor can't hear you breathe. You can't hear yourself breathe. And you can hardly even feel the fine hairs in your nose move as you breathe. So your breath as you're there should be subtle, should be imperceptible, should be hardly even noticeable. And even if you take a breath or two now for the listeners and just see, hmm, how am I actually breathing in this moment? And it will be incredible the amount of people who say, oh, yeah, I can hear myself breathe or um, it is big or I need large breaths or big gulps or I can't nasal breathe. That, that's a system that needs to be built, that needs to be trained. Quickly, I wanted to let you know about the chance to try out Performance Herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of Lost Empire Herbs' flagship products, Pine Pollen, for free. Switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me. Just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable, I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. These include Chiliagit Resin and the Phoenix Formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you, which is that you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse that is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition. It's actually part of the Phoenix Formula, and you can get that for free uh, along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, for me, you know, it's funny for me, I've, I've always been a nose breather. And I think I do have a 
fairly calm, at least to my conscious awareness, you know, the subconscious layers I'm sure in there, you know, fairly calm awareness. But I read a book called Super Wellness about two years ago. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of who wrote it. Um, But she had talked about just just nose breathing to get energy, like instead of coffee, you know, go outside and do some, you know, some like working in or, or nose breathing to escalate your energy. And I remember even in doing 20 powerful breaths, my nose actually hurt. Like it was uncomfortable. I, I don't have a deviant septum or anything, but it just kind of hurt. Like, and I, and it was hard. It was hard. Honestly, for me, like it, aggressive nose breathing was difficult. I could do aggressive mouth breathing if I'm doing a tough workout, but I don't know if there was something there. Cause when I overcame that hurdle, I felt like I was a lot better. Like I leveled up, if that makes sense. Like to be able to do 35 aggressive nose breaths and there's no discomfort. And I feel like my diaphragm was trained more, honestly. Those I think are the things that hopefully maybe stuck with me. And I, I'm a believer now, like it's something I'm going to be doing pretty regularly. I mean, I guess once it's automatic, it's great, but I I really enjoy it. And I'll definitely be doing forms of that for the rest of my life. Absolutely. If you go from zero to, you know, gear five, it's going to hurt. Like like asking somebody who hasn't run in in a year to sprint, uh, to do repeat sprints for an hour. They're going to hurt the next day. (laughs) So it's the same even with breathing is is your your nose is going to hurt if you go from zero to that. And by the way, I'm coming from somebody whose anatomy is one of the worst. Like my my teeth are all bunched up. I got narrow jaw lines. I got narrow nasal passages. I got a narrow nose because as a kid, I was that sick with asthma that that's how I developed. And even I can do it. So you're 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 talking to somebody who isn't naturally a when I say not naturally a nose breather. I spent my childhood as a mouth breather. Um, so it can be done, and, and the more you do it, the roof of your mouth will begin to expand. There's research behind that. Your nasal passages will open. Your control of your of your nares will improve so that you can make it stick better too. It's just training. It's just training. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing that's really been so cool about this is the same way. I'm just so used to just training, you know, movement patterns, like speed, muscle groups, and, and that. And it's like, well, mm. this is something you're leveling up too that's going to help you a lot. And even as you were saying, I just think this is really cool. As you were talking about, it's like imperceptible that the it's almost like you can't even tell necessarily the hairs are going in or out or inhaling or exhaling. And to me, that is such the, you know, if we talk about the masculine and feminine sizes, we, we so associate training with just the gas pedal, gas pedal, gas pedal, gas pedal. Mm-hmm. But it's like that almost to recover, you have to let off the gas pedal and to fully recover, it almost is full into that other side where it is this imperceptible softness that helps the body to fully replenish itself so you can go push that gas pedal down again versus I think we, t- we tend to overly, um, I guess you could say over like just put too much like of that masculine emphasis and recovery sometimes. It's like you're going to do it like this. I mean, I will say like I structured breathing has been really helpful for me, but I, I, I also appreciate that like almost softness of the breath, that imperceptibility where it's like this, that, that, that sticks with you for recovery as well. The structure will help you lead into that. Yeah. And that's what I found amazing about, uh, like, what I wouldn't have connected with is the yogic and the, the, the Eastern philosophies originally. But I found that the Buteyko and Auction Advantage methods where they had a structure on it, and it, it, it brought me into that idea of uh, imperceptible breathing. It brought me into that idea of subtleness and of working in and of calmness of the mind. It's very hard, I think, for a, for a Western mind to go from, you know, quantitative analysis to um, hitting goals to be highly driven into, oh, you just got to sit there and, 
you know, be of no mind. It's very hard to do that. Yeah. But breath training as a practice will guide you uh, down that path and take you there very, very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's probably like the simplest way, honestly, to experience that other side of things. Because even in the realm of like sport technique, I think a lot of people want to be instructed. They're like, show me this position my limbs should be in, yeah, da, da, da. But actual movement is more, really, it's more of an intuitive automatic feeling that you run in rhythms. And that's a hard way. A lot of people don't easily take to that type of being instructed, but you could start with the breath from that if you're talking about softer sides of things. I just feel like that's an easy way to start there. That's very natural and intuitive. Yeah. And then as the more you get better at that, then honestly, your whole perception of life and how you think will change as well. Uh, it's amazing the, the the play it has in the mind too and how it opens up your mind to visit a, a, a more lateral way of thinking, a more expanded way of thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think we were talking about the last show, like your the way you breathe impacts your physiology, but also your emotions. Like a lot of times your mental state, mind, it, it's almost like, honestly, it makes me think about if I was going to instruct a group and in, let's say some run training to, and it was like, look, we're going to do this based a lot on movements that and you're going to feel this it's, i'm not going to tell you where your hand or your arm should be da 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 maybe to start the session with some breath work as well that they're noticing their breath first and that would almost prime help to prime the pathways to hey i'm noticing the relationship between my hip and my shoulder not just doing the position the coach told you know things like that i i think it could be mm-hmm. better just my mind kind of running here um yeah so Okay, i do want to ask you so you know, the 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 recovery elements the the breath throughout the day so I wanted to ask you, I'm sure we talked about this last time, so feel free to go into this as much depth as you would like. But, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's always good to talk about nuts and bolts. And, you know, if you can recover faster and then rec- in a session day to day, it's just a good thing. So just rehash some of those principles of what is that training program? What's the training program that's getting these people to that level? Like what and what errors were they maybe making before in their breath? And how what were you emphasizing through the course of that training? Okay, the way the way I consider breath training is is there's three elements or three main dimensions to it. There are your mechanics. There is uh, CO two tolerance, uh, which is your physiology, and then there is breathing rhythms. So these are three aspects of breathing that need to be um, enhanced. Uh, that need to be optimized so that you can then create that subtle breath. Okay. So the original way I learned would have been through the Buteyko and Oxygen Advantage methods. And for those that don't know, Buteyko was was a, 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 well, technically actually a Ukrainian doctor, uh, but known as a Russian doctor, uh, way back in the 1950s, who developed a breathing methodology for health. And that was uh, learned by, by a gentleman named Patrick McKeown over here in Ireland. He brought it back to Ireland in the early 2000s, about 2002. And I trained with him in about early 2004. I trained in that technique to rehab my asthma. So that focuses very much on balancing out carbon dioxide in the body. Because what a lot of people don't realize is, is that when you overbreathe throughout the day, In other words, if you're mouth breathing, if you're big breathing, if you're fast breathing, that will lead to a sensitivity to a rise in CO2. In other words, if you start to big breathe a lot, 
then you're more likely to continue it. And the more you continue it, um, you drop into a vicious cycle of needing to continue it. So the more you do it, the more you need to do it. But what you end up doing is becoming uh, sensitive to CO2 and you need carbon dioxide to help oxygen get into your cell. You need CO2 to help cellular health. But you don't get that because you're in this vicious cycle of getting rid of it without even realizing it. So the whole point of that method is to rebalance our physiology. And they do it through breath holding techniques and calm breathing as well. When I was doing that and working with people with that, I found that they didn't, um, they weren't progressing very fast. That, you know, I was spending six months doing stuff that later on I could do in a session or two. And that's when I found breathing mechanics work. So coming from physiotherapy, osteopathy, uh, movement practice, and I found the idea of, of restoring the diaphragm, restoring the intercostals and the muscles of the chest, and restoring the exhale to be let go was really, really important. So that's the second part of breath training. So you got the physiology of part one, part two now is the mechanics. By mechanics, I mean, can you use your, is, is your diaphragm supple and can you use it well? Can you use your mid to upper chest well and breathe well? And can you let go of your exhale? In other words, does it spring out of your inhale? And you can view that through a video analysis of a breath. So if you have somebody lying on their back with their knees bent and they breathe in, does their belly rise? Does their lower ribs expand? Does their chest, their mid chest where your logo would be, does that expand? Because some people's don't. Mm -hmm. And can they let go of their exhale or is their exhale held? So in other words, is it or are they contracting the muscles of the neck and of the lips and the tongue to control their exhale? If any of those three aspects are, are not optimized, then the physiology will also be off and their whole breath will be off. Mm. The last part then is, is the breathing rhythms. And I use rhythmical breathing techniques like Wim Hof or, you know, there's other ones out there like holotropic and there's rebirthing and radiance. And there's, there's a whole host on, on that side of things. And what they're all about doing is they're, they're actually excitation breaths, but they really help to, they help you deal with your emotions and with your traumas of the past very directly whereas you will get there doing the breath holding don't get me wrong you will eventually deal with that stuff subtly um, as you restore with the physiology and with the breathing mechanics but then the likes of the Wim Hof and the rhythmical breathing techniques are very very powerful techniques for um, feeling emotions so there are the three aspects that I look to build in people so that they restore their whole breathing system Got it. So it's uh, just a little summary. So it's mechanical. So you make sure ribs expand, diaphragms working, uh, chest. And I know uh, Kitty St. Clair has been on the show with the bio. I mentioned all the way at the beginning, the biomechanics and the breath inside out. Like a lot of people overly belly breathe. They don't let their, it's like they're almost taught to belly breathe and then that chest doesn't expand at all. So that's been something I've been thinking about lately. But the, but the, the only thing, and I, I, I don't know Katie St. Clair at all. Uh, I've seen her on, on Instagram and a lot of People like um, like the work that she does, and I think it's brilliant, brilliant work. The one thing I would say is that your your goal in doing all this is that you don't have to think about it. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah? yeah. So once you've trained it, you shouldn't have to like people are like, oh, you you don't. There's a big movement out there now is you shouldn't be belly breathing. You should be laterally breathing into it. I think personally, I just think that's rubbish too. I think that it's just semantics and words. And um, I think that you should be able, depending on the position of your body relative to gravity, your belly should rise when you breathe, without a doubt. Other than that, you're just getting into the very semantics of how it actually moves versus how it looks like when it moves. So I still think the value of belly breathing is is important. It's there. Yeah, I think it was more the belly breathing only was like the thing not to do. Like, don't just don't only belly breathe, but you should also. Get, yeah. And she's she's dead right in that. And you have to be able to she'll talk a lot about breathing into your um, breathing into the back of your ribs as a means of building out um, thoracic movement and rib cage movement. And I think all of that is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think sometimes I the more I've been listening to that stuff too, I'll think like, man, I don't expand like back here at all. And, and I get the idea of being like automatic as well. I think that anything can you can over intellectualize, especially if you're really cerebral, you know, and you you can over over intellectualize anything. Yeah. So it's yeah, position and then the the rhythm. Sorry, position and then the rhythm and then I forget the. It, the so there's a position, there's a physiology which is balancing carbon dioxide. Um, in the blood and your sensitivity to CO2 and then the rhythms is the third oh, one. Got it, got so it. Okay. Three parts. There's a mechanics, there's a physiology and then there's a rhythms. Got it. So I did, I'll skip ahead a little bit because I had this question for you but I've, I've talked to coaches who, uh, who do like running and they'll talk about there's like a rhythm of the breath with the movement. Do you mm-hmm. do anything like that where there's a movement like any cyclic activity and the breath is synced up into that in any sort of way? Yeah, the first person I looked at that did that was Dr. John Dulyard back in the late 80s and early 90s. He's a great book called uh, Body, Mind and Sport. He brought my awareness to that. Think of it, the, the best way to think of that is like a swimmer. So swimmers are taught to swim bilaterally because if they swim and breathe unilaterally off one side on the front crawl, well, then they're going to develop overuse injuries through the neck, through the shoulder, through the through the spine as well and into the hips, right? Because they're constantly turning to one side and overdeveloping one side versus another. Well, Dulyard brought about that. He, he took that concept and applied it to runners. And he felt that if you excess, so if your breath pattern stayed on a unilateral side, in other words, if let's say you exhaled every time your left foot hit the floor, that you would end up um, overdeveloping the left side of your kinetic chain versus the right hmm. and you would develop um repetitive use injuries on that side so what he had his athletes doing was first of all learning how to breathe off so let's say exhale off alternate foot patterns does that make sense yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. that was the first part of that which i brought in and actually it, do you know what it's nice to play with and, and to change the second part that he brought in, which I thought was ingenious, was, and, and you, you asked me about a little bit, was, can you extend the exhale? And it's a great way how to bring in calm breathing rhythms is instead of running and uh, let's say a, a, a three-two, which is in other words, uh, or, or an exhale every third footstep, you can then extend it to an exhale every fifth, mm. every seventh, every ninth footstep. Yeah. So in that way. You can train yourself to breathe more calmly, which means deal with CO2, deal with metabolic waste better 
um, and keep the mechanics of your running gait better as well at the same time. Yeah, I like Does that. that. Make sense? Yeah, because I was actually that was a question. That was like one of the main ones. I read the breath mm. by James Nestor, and he was talking about yes, and swimming, obviously, and that's where I think I've had the honor of being able to work with swimmers, high level swimmers for a while, and their work capacity was just crazy on on the land. Like if you're going to do a circuit mm-hmm. with them on the land, it was really really good. And I think a lot of that is the the just the breath holding nature, the carbon dioxide tolerance nature of their sport, and then. Around the and, same, it's built yeah. in, and it's built into it by the fact that they might do seven strokes without taking a breath. Yeah. Like I know some, yeah, some protocols extend that out. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. Take a breath on, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, but then it's and it's a constraint that makes it happen naturally. But you have to actually think about it if you were on the land. And I was someone around the same time was saying like doing like bear crawling with like breath holds or something was like mm-hmm. you increase your capacity really quickly i was just screwing around the other day i was i was doing bear calls on the football field and so every five yards i would i would hold you know like go five yards hold fire it is it was rad i was like man i this is uh it, it's one of those things where you can improve your whole physiology without having to make, do more mechanical work you know like yes i could do crawl for 400 meters or i could get the same you know physiological boost by maybe just doing 200 or 150 but i'm really pressing the breath and the rhythm rhythm of the breath and Anyways, um, I, just, and, I love that and example. Part of why that is, or at least the way I would think of that is because, okay, CO2 is the only gas that crosses the blood-brain barrier. It is inextricably linked with fear in the brain. Hmm. Okay, so fear, panic, anxiety are linked physiologically with a rise in carbon dioxide. Okay, so if you have more inputs to your nervous system, you're going to challenge fear anyway. You're going to challenge your whole body anyway. So now that you place your hands on the floor as well as your feet on the floor and you're using whole body movement, your brain is getting much more inputs. And then you add a breath hold on top of it as well. You're conditioning yourself. There's a physiological component to it, which you're absolutely right. And there's a mental component to it as well, which is just as powerful, which is saying can in a breath hold, and which also translates across the sport as well. Yeah, I will say, like, in working with swimmers, like, you know, not that I was like, I was definitely not this like super conditioning guy in the gym. But if you were going to be doing hard conditioning workouts in the gym and you asked a swimmer to do it, like, they were the most fearless. Like, the, the ones at least who are a lot of the, the ones who are on that upper level, like, they were so fearless. They would literally do anything and they would just like put their soul into it. And I think, you know, part of that's, I think, who they were, their upbringing, you know, their mentality. But then I think part of it as well, they're just used to being challenged to level up on the breath holding component all the time. And that, you know, it's like, if I can do that, I can definitely do this. You know, that just that mentality. That's a a basic thing. You want to stay alive. And the only reason why you hold your breath in in nature is because you've been suffocated or you're drowning. (laughs) Like that's that's the only reason really why you hold, that's why you hold your breath unless it's a, a big fear response, right? So if you're training that as a part of your everyday training, shit, you're training yourself psychologically to be, so much stronger and more resilient in that sense. Yeah, for sure. I I, I just thought that was so interesting because uh, it was it the in the breath book they were talking about where you get hooked up to like a I don't know if it's a bubble over your head or something where or you're just where you're basically going to pr- breathe this higher carbon dioxide mix for mm-hmm. thirty seconds or two minutes and your brain is going to think you're yes. you know <laughs> you know you're choking or something and then you're you just freak out you know even though it's not that bad that you just still get oxygen. It's just, it's interesting the brain's physiology in response to that. 
So our normal uh, CO2 levels are between 5 and 7% in the blood. And what they did in that research, that was uh, Dr. Justin Feinstein. He was working with somebody who had uh, their amygdala. They had a disease and the amygdala didn't develop well. And so they had no fear response to any other fear stressor, right? And he brought her into the lab and uh, put a gas mask on her and infused her with 35% CO2. And within the first breath, she was ripping it off, having a panic attack for the first time in her life. But he actually brought out a model this year, only in May of this year, called the Apnea-Induced Anxiety Model, AIA, the Apnea-Induced Anxiety Model, which, which looked at over 30 years of work in his field and also in, in, in other fields. And he combined it together to create this model, this hypothesis that when people, that, that it, it's a physiological component to anxiety. So when people are in a stressful environment that they hold their breath so for example there's no email apnea from from corporate athletes you know working on the email that they and they hold their breath and then after a while like they generally forget to breathe and this is induced by all different stressors right but when you hold your breath your brain doesn't register that it's a breath hold so it's like okay it's fine 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 and i can do that for up to a minute is what they found and then the CO2 builds up so high that all of a sudden it's like level four, you know, nuclear bomb imminent. It's, it, it's, it, it's, it's implosion rather than, than anything else. And, and your brain sets on red alert. It registers that there's a huge amount of CO2 in the system. And then it freaks out. <laughs> and then you go into a hyperventilation and into an anxiety state. Nuts. That's the psychological component of breath holding, subconscious breath holding, where it's just as opposed to training yourself to get used to it and improve your resilience to it. I just had a little smile on my face. I was thinking about, I think it's interesting, you know, corporate athlete, right? Like there's a, I like uh, you know, the mental and the breathing elements of it. and But, it, you know, there's an app for everything, right? Or like a thing, a digital thing for everything. I was thinking it'd be funny if there was like a light on top of the computer and it just said breathe every like five yeah. seconds or something. It said, don't forget, like stop holding your breath or I don't know. It'd be kind of funny. But it, I bet you, honestly, sadly, that would probably make a big difference. I mean, not sadly. I mean, it probably would be very helpful, but I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more about that, what we've come to, sadly, like level. I mean, it's just part of life, but it's also interesting where... Yeah, I mean, I feel myself doing it all the time, even as you're talking. I was like, oh, man, maybe I need that light. Like, I, I probably mm. do it all the time. And mm. so, anyways. Um, and, and when that happens, that's, I mean, that, that's what sleep apnea is, is because your body's so dysregulated, is that during your sleep, you're even holding your breath. And if that happens, oh, my God, like the negative consequence on your entire body is is huge from mental health to type 2 diabetes to uh, increased risk of cancers and cardiovascular disease. And it's like the floodgates are opened at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's breath holding is an amazing training tool to build resilience. But then if it's, if it's a, a rhythm that you're doing throughout the day that you weren't aware of before, that's something that you want to restore. And so you just breathe normally when you're stressed. 
Yeah. Leo, do you know any more about, I know you mentioned like the breathe on the, it was the exhale on the seventh step, exhale on the nine. Yes. Um, yes. And that, that too, that odd number helps you to flip the feet, right? Like, so it's. Yes. Okay, perfect. So the way, the way I train that, um, that, that takes a little bit of entrainment. So the way I start that with people is, is I'll say, okay, exhale every time your left foot touches the floor um, and slap your left leg. So in other words, mm. it will be like. Every time it hits the floor, I'll, I'll slap my thigh to get it in my brain. Oh, yeah, that's when I need to exhale. And then over time, you will, you will build that where you don't have to slap your leg. And then you'll, you'll ingrain that into your running mechanics. Yeah. Got it. I was just thinking in the book uh, Breath by James uh, Nestor, it was talking about, um, I don't I don't remember if he was talking about swimming particularly. I mean, swimming is an obvious one there, but it was talking about running and it was like some like really hardcore running coach who was like taking that long exhalation, like run, run mm-hmm. training thing to the extreme where, and, and there was like a finish uh, story of a finish runner as well. That was just like, and this is endurance events, but long, long, just painfully long exhales, just sipping air. I know James himself and that uh, Olsen character yeah. in the, book where they were doing these runs together in i think golden gate park where they were just like just little sips on the inhale and otherwise it was just all exhales and it's i mean but to me i I mean i'm a little add so i like thinking about different things when i'm running so like something Mm. else to focus on keep me in the moment and how powerful that was they're talking about how effective that was for endurance olsen olsen is a buteco uh instructor as far as i know that's and i have his book as well it's a great book he he, he teaches the the buteco method uh, which is what I part of what I do as well, and what Patrick McKeown does too in the Auction Advantage. It all comes from the same, and this is his flavor of it, or it is how he was coaching it. Uh, I like that idea. I think of it like um, when, when you're a deep sea diver, like you want to sink to the bottom and you want to be able to just sink at the bottom of the ocean and play around down there. So that's how I think of uh, that when he's exhaling and taking little sips of air. It's really, really tough to do that. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it, that that's one way of training yourself because you're creating metabolic waste you're creating heat you're creating carbon dioxide and if you're pushing yourself you're creating lactate lactic acid and at the same time you're teaching your body to breathe really really calmly and really low to tolerate more levels of that it's a it's a tough method to do the way he's doing it yeah, that sounds pretty brutal. Like, it sounds like people who really want to stretch themselves, you know, like, but I mean, even in um, like an isometric hold, like you do a wall sit or something like that, you could challenge. I know uh, in the way that a lot of body weight yeah. isometrics were prescribed by Jay Schrader, it's like four seconds in, eight seconds out, but it's like, well, maybe you could take it to 12. Maybe you could take it to yes. further than that, you know, and really challenge yourself. If I'm not right, I thought in, I thought in James's book that it was actually, um, exhale breath holes that they were doing on the runs i didn't think that he was just um and and i could be wrong because i haven't read in a while i didn't think that he was just like breathing little sips of air down the bottom what he was actually doing was breath in breath out and he was holding his breath and then going for as long as he possibly could and then when he recovered he tried to take little sips of air in and out Okay. And that's a that's an auction advantage method. It doesn't matter what the what the methodology is, but that comes from Patrick McKeown would do a lot on that as well, where it's breath in, breath out, now run, 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 run as far as you can. And then when you need to breathe, you inhale just a little sip of air and then exhale. And then a little sip of air and then an exhale. 
basically like you're in yeah. a pool like like a swimmer would do basically you know exactly exactly and what that will do is now you're training high co2 levels which is called hypercapnia and you're training hypoxia which is low oxygen levels and you'll know if you're doing this in two ways one you could bring a, a, a blood oxygen saturation monitor which which will cost you 30 bucks okay or if you're getting dizzy that's when you that's how i felt that when you know that your blood sats are dropping when your blood sats are dropping what that means is that you're now doing hypoxic training or simulated altitude training so what's going on here is that you now have low oxygen in your blood and your spleen and your your cardiovascular system has to work extra hard to pump more oxygen into your system to help you keep going so it's a version of altitude training and you can get a third of the benefits of high altitude uh, living by doing this style of training nice i i just like i love too that you're in addition to the potential for improved endurance which obviously it sounds extremely effective and I think that coach in breath they were talking about who really like pushed those like that CO2 tolerance in the land runners, like I, apparently they had a lot of success at the next Olympics. I'd be curious the specifics of it, but I forgot if, if nothing else would be just fun too. to for me. I don't know. It sounds weird for me that that's fun on a run is trying well, to. Like, you know, I, but, I'm after coming back from a, there was a gathering of ma- I'm a master instructor in the auction advantage um, uh, methodology. So I, I trained people in it uh, and we had a gathering there in Patrick's home. Uh, only about three weeks ago. And there was fascinating, the, the, the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team, they've been doing it for a couple of years. The Australian rugby team, they've been doing it for a couple of teams. There's a couple of pro, out, pro outfits in Australia doing it. I know a guy working in, there's a guy working with the San Francisco 49ers with some of their individual athletes. They're doing it. It is, it's an element of training that's becoming more and more widely well-known and people are beginning to integrate it because they just see the value of it. It's it's incredible for land-based condition. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's been really exciting for me, even just even just being in my awareness. You know, I, I think my morning practice primes me to want to think about that more when I'm going through, you know, whatever training it is. Uh, explosive, maybe a little bit less sometimes. Uh, obviously, distance, I think about it a lot more. But I, I wanted to actually segue into the last question I had for you. So more of a, within the scope of typical gym training so we're doing strength training mm-hmm. lifting heavier more anaerobic two thoughts one uh, you know we mentioned paul check i know he's talked about working in like doing like more restorative breathing between heavier sets or mm-hmm. any sort of recovery breathing within the workout if i'm doing like explosive stuff or even you could say sprints or anything that's like quick uh, and then second just just breathing and for strength in general if there is anything there like for just raw strength like compression or pressurization uh, maybe we'll start with the working in and then breathing and strength is the second part of that. Yeah, I mean, the working in, uh, what, uh, what a lot of my workouts are now is, uh, I'm now, I'm 40 this month. Um, and what a lot of my workouts now are is, I, I still I still participate in judo competitively. I do a lot more coaching. I, I just do a lot of my activity for fun and for my own health, right? And what I find that my workouts are for is for solving creative problems in life. Um, so good mental health, yeah, but actually for, for creativity. Mm. And uh, most people know this, like you feel great after a workout and you think more clearly after a workout, which is fantastic. But you can also use a workout to be way more creative in your life. And that's the idea of that. That's the idea that I take away from Paul's 
working in methodology, which is in between your sets, if you, first of all, if you calm your breathing, and it's just a matter of calming your breathing, you can do a million different ways of calming your breathing. You can do a box breath, which might be four seconds in, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. Okay. You can do four, six breathing for two minutes. Okay. Which is in for four, out for six for two minutes. All of these methods slow your breath rate down, slow the volume down, help your uh, heart rate to slow down, help lower blood pressure, help open up the frontal lobes in the thinking brain and rebalance your whole system after a stressor. And for me, it's that that's where you want to be when you're when you're training is you want to push really hard when you're training in your set when you're outside of your set you want to be recovering hard for want of a better word and the best way to recover hard is is just latch your mind onto your breath slow your breath down calm it down and then even if you want you can i mean paul does artwork and does journaling around it and it's amazing how you can make sense of your life and the problems in your life if you do a little bit of that work with it that's cool i know uh paul cater who i mentioned earlier who did like the dance a lot of dance and rhythm stuff in his early like gpp he he'll do it for his own personal workouts do painting in between sets of deadlifts and stuff like that so it's i didn't know paul did that as well yeah 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 paul paul did that and, and i took that from well i took that concept from him and i would do it like in my in my gym, in my in my garage, I have a big blackboard and different chalk, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to draw, right? And I'm not, a, I'm not an artist by any means, but it's just like just put pen to paper and just start doodling, and eventually, you know, thoughts will come to your mind, and you try and draw pictures, and I leave it sit there even for the rest of my day, and then come in the next day, and sometimes I'm like, ah, and all of a sudden the solution to problems that I have in life just start appearing, for want of a better word. I don't, I don't know what the magic is behind it, but that's the idea of working in, which is getting creative and finding solutions to to your life's problems yeah and, and now there's another meaning to working out right that's great i'm always thinking of a running list of things better than being on your phone in between lifting sets because i see it all the time with especially young males in the gym and it like drives me nuts i i don't i have a no phones policy for my athletes but it's uh it's i'm just like what are some better things that you could be doing right now let's think of all the things and I especially too maintaining like I like thinking of the workout as one giant continuous flow state. Like it really needs to be that. It needs to be and people like it's almost the same thing as willingness to sit in a meditation. You know, like can you sit with this workout as a as a singular entity for the given time? And if you mm-hmm. can't, you're kind of taken away from a lot of things you could get out of it, you know, outside of just the mechanical stressors you're putting on your body. So that's uh another thing to add to the list. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, last. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. Last bit. Then you asked me about the uh, creating pressure. I'll give you an example. I had a gentleman, uh, Tyler. He was a strong man in Ontario, in Canada, and he came to me originally for asthma and anxiety with his breathing. That's why he he heard me on a podcast and said, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll chat away to Leo." And I think he put on, if I remember, I think he could have had a. 300 kilo squad which is might have been about a 550 pound maybe a bit more as uh, squat and he put on about 40 kilos in two weeks of restoring his breathing mechanics it was it was an incredible amount that that he put on it was like an extra five percent on, on, on like on a one or m it was an incredible amount that he put on and this is in a trained athlete and the reason why i could do that is if the diaphragm if you're first of all 
your brain will always prioritize respiration over everything else. If you don't breathe, you die. It's as simple as that. So even if you are loading your body up with a, with a maximal weight, if you don't have a big enough reserve in your respiration system, in your breathing system, well, then you won't be able to create the pressure that you need to lift that weight. And you'll end up injuring your back or your hip or your leg or, or some other body part because there'll be compensation mechanisms. So if you train your breath to be efficient, first of all, then you can apply it and use it in max strength. And yes, there's anatomical reasons for that and physiological reasons for that. So think of, let's just say you breathe through your mouth all day and you're, a, you're, you're in a maximal strength phase. You then go and you're training, let's say, a five rep max. That's a breath hold. So people will go, take a breath in, do the reps, down and up, down and up, say a squat, down and up, down and up. And then they finish and they unrack. And they breathe again. That's a 20-second breath hold with a load on your back. Believe it or not, that's a huge amount of pressure. If you're sensitive to carbon dioxide, you will lose your abdominal pressure because your brain will be sparking off because it's like, I'm in trouble here because I'm holding my breath so much. And you'll develop compensation patterns in your lifting technique. So just to go into the anatomy, because it's real simple, your, your diaphragm sits at the base of your ribs and think of it like a jellyfish, right? So you've got the diaphragm is like that jelly part and then the crura or the tendons of the um, diaphragm are like the tentacles of a jellyfish. And they attach onto your lumbar spine, onto your low back. Directly out of the same part of the low back come your hip flexors. Okay? So if your diaphragm doesn't move well, or the demands of your breathing are too high that the diaphragm is working, well, then it's going to start to pull on that low back and it's going to start to pull on those hip flexors and it's going to steal blood, steal energy and steal power away from the lumbar spine and away from the hip flexors and when you're in movement. So if you can restore your breathing mechanics and your breathing physiology, it will make all the rest of that work so much more efficiently. Yeah, it makes sense. I, you know, the old, the uh, all the old school strongmen, like you couldn't go into that material like in early 1900s without something about breathing, breath work, or even like, um, like putting chains around the ribs and chest to be able to expand the chest and break them. And I think once we, it's like everything just funneled so much into only how much weight can you lift, and only in these three lifts, we lost some of that, like that out of the art of it too. You know, that all, everything mm -hmm. they through their intuition all came up with to kind of it's more really specialized now and if you're just going to pursue one singular like the powerlifting discipline some of those old school strongmen used to blow up uh, hot water bottles with their with their with their breathing and their lungs were and their breath was that strong you had um oh his it's gonna kill me now that his name is gone the father of fitness back in the 1950s and he swam he was really famous oh my god i can't believe his name is gone uh, he was really famous for swimming. I think he swum a mile with a 70-ton boat behind him uh, while handcuffed in San Francisco <laughs> Bay. Was that Lelaine like, or is that? Yes, yeah, Lelaine. Okay. That's uh, who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there, there's some, Those guys did crazy stuff. And that was back in the 50s and the 40s and the 30s yeah. and all the way back. Yeah. Crazy. They were fit. They were strong guys. 
Yeah, I think I, I, you know, some of those books are a little more like I bought a the book called The Spiritual Journey of Joseph Greenstein, which was the Mighty Adam, like the, the shorter, smaller, yes. like who could like bite through like nails and do all this crazy metal bending and like. But those books that cost a little bit more, they're like these older books that like it just kind of. I don't know. It's just going back into that history has been so powerful for me. So it's cool to hear you talk about that breath and and like the strong man and like that full circle. Yeah, it's like we talk about a lot of people have come on the show talking about the quickest way to close down your movement options and become very compressed is to specialize in powerlifting or to take powerlifting too far. And yeah, it's cool to hear your perspective of look like there is. And honestly, even if you're just a powerlifter and just took on some of these breath practices and took your breath and that expansion and some of the uh, other like bending and twisting and restoring movement options practices, you could be a lot more dynamic even in the powerlifting practice. So it's, I just think it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool area. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I'm so excited that I've become more tuned into this. It's been a really important part of what I've been doing. Just uh, closing thoughts. So if you have any closing thoughts, Leo, and then where can people find you? Is there any, I think you mentioned you're writing a book or courses or anything that you want to talk mm-hmm. about? Uh, just let me know here or let everyone know. Yeah, sure. Uh, my website is innatestrength.com. Uh, that's innate-strength.com. You'll find me on Instagram under the same handles uh, is the easiest thing. I do breath training online uh, where I coach people through those phases. Uh, it's all one-to-one or you can actually just buy one of the programs off my website and it's you know it's, it's pretty cheap. Like it's $40 just for the like a 16-week program, an automated program. They'll guide you through all those phases. That's where you'll find me, and I try. I'm, I'm beginning. I'm getting better on the Instagram to uh, <laughs> to get get information out there and kind of tell people what it's all about, and and um, yeah, just educate them. That's what it's all about is is education. And uh, w- once you've restored the breathing, and maybe that will be my final thoughts is once you've restored your breathing back to baseline, that's it. You don't need to worry about it again. You don't need to be thinking about it the whole time. You can then use specialized techniques for special purposes, but you don't need to be thinking and, and doing breath training for the rest of your life. There will you'll bring it in in phases just as much as you'll bring in, you know, strength and max strength and power and relative strength and strength endurance phases into your into your programs. You'll bring in phases of breath training, but it's not something that you have to do forever. Just restore your baselines and then get on and live a great life and enjoy yourself. Awesome stuff, Leo. Well, hey, thank you so much again. It was wonderful having this conversation with you today. Nice, Joel. Thanks a million. 